Okay, so folks, welcome back to the Anthony Gordon Show. It's almost cliched to start the show by saying uh, it's an honor and a pleasure, but indeed it is to uh, to have a uh, a special guest, a friend, a good friend, uh, and someone, frankly, that I have a debt of gratitude to, because everything you see around you here at Cast Media, at the studio, and the folks that have become sort of extended family was an intro through Ben to Colin Thompson and the folks over here. So Ben, let me start off by thanking you for the introduction. Oh yeah, you bet. Um, we know each other very well, and I think that in many ways we have the, I guess, the, the, the honor, but also the responsibility of speaking to a lot of people. You have, in my opinion, uh, I think captured the hearts and minds of more people in the millennial generation um, than anyone that I know. And I think being someone who's got his finger on the pulse, I find when I speak to folks of that sort of age cohort that because technology, you know, has made people almost passive repositories of whatever the social media and the mass media sort of imparts, it's sort of it's taken as gospel without a critical sort of uh, uh, lens and what the purpose of the show is, is really to help primarily that sort of cohort um, help dispel a lot of what they're seeing and hearing, you know, through social media, through the mass media, because I think it's destructive. You know, I speak to folks that are in pain, they're confused, their lives are derailed. So as someone who is a prolific speaker, who clearly knows what's going on, um, you know, in that generation, can you share with our listeners your thoughts on, you know, sort of some of the myths I believe them to be erroneous, that primarily the millennial generation has embraced as gospel, which frankly is not serving them well. Well, I mean, I, I think there are a bunch of them. I think that there's there's the generalized myth that, that a lot of millennials have embraced, which is that their subjective take on reality should trump objective reality, that, that facts themselves are not nearly as important as a particular spin on the facts, as, as narrative or as particular feelings about a fact. And that, in fact, it is an offense against their identity if you differ from them politically or if you bring up a, an inconvenient fact that, that they find offensive. The offense, the offensiveness of a fact is more important than the presence of the fact. Right. That, that obviously is, is very dangerous stuff and, and leads to a lot of weak-minded argument, a lot of dangerous argument, frankly, because if you feel that you're being attacked on the basis of your identity, you're much more likely to respond sure. uh, at, with, with character attacks on the verbal level or even with physical attacks on the physical level, as you've seen in some more extreme cases. Sure. That sort of stuff is is incredibly dangerous. Also, the social media uh, world creates this myth that people are thinking about you all the time, that, that everybody is, is right. reacting to you all the time, uh, that the best way for you to gain credibility with your peers is to virtue signal as opposed to actually being virtuous, right. that your interpersonal activities are significantly less important than the sort of hashtag that you use on social media. And that's dangerous too, because sure. you're rewarded on social media for being performative. You're not rewarded on social media for being kind or decent. Yeah, and that's not going to be a, a and, and listen, everybody gets drawn into that. That's not unique to millennials. It's not, you, you know, it's, I'm not accepting myself from this. It's, it's, it's very easy to be drawn into that, but it's something I think we all have a, a duty to fight. Very, uh, points well taken. Just going to be drilled down on that a, a little bit, a little bit more before we move on. That is when you speak to folks and you sort of bring to the attention that their response is visceral, it's emotional, it might not be critical, it might not have sort of been thought through, and in a very non-adversarial way, because I don't think that's your style. You know, point out to folks, you know, 
based on what are you saying that? Do you find that that most people eventually, eventually concede that maybe, you know, it's hyperbolic emotions as opposed to sourced on, on something, you know, that's thought through or factual? I mean, I think if people are honest with themselves, then they're willing to drill down far enough to, to find that. I think that the problem is that if you do that, then you've conceded the argument. And if you're very, very much invested right. in the outcome of a particular argument, you're just not willing to concede the point, even if it's obviously true. Yeah. That, that's, that's one of the big problems. It, it is very funny. My sort of public persona and, and a lot of the image is built around sort of the Ben Shapiro destroys kind of stuff, which yeah. trended on Twitter over the weekend, which is weird to me. I wasn't even active on Twitter over the weekend. That's but, crazy. you know, there, there is a lot of this sort of image that I'm going around clubbing people to death and all this kind of stuff. If you ever watch any of my exchanges, they're exceedingly polite. No, the number I'm, of exchanges that I've had with people where it devolves into name calling, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not even sure it's ever happened, but certainly you could count it on one hand if it has. And yet people treat even sort of interpersonal conversation in which people's premises are questioned as adversarial in the extreme. And then that's right. one of the problems here is if, you know, the conversations I'm having with college students or even with non-college students, I mean, I have conversations with prominent figures on the left on a routine basis. If even those are castigated as somehow out of the mainstream, I'm not sure what would be in the mainstream anymore. Mm -hmm. How can you even have a conversation? And this is one of my problems with the identity politics movement, this yeah. idea that politics is indeed your identity. And so if I attack your politics, I'm attacking you as a human being. What that really does is it forecloses any ability to have a conversation. Sure. Because if I mention, if I say biologically, there are two sexes. Yep. There are people who are intersex, but biologically there are two sexes. And that if you're a member of the male sex, you cannot become a member of the female sex. That is yep. just not a real possibility. If you say that sort of thing on a biological basis, People take that as, you're attacking me, you're attacking my identity, you're suggesting that I don't exist. No, I'm suggesting that you absolutely do exist and you have a right to your opinions on a wide variety of issues, but your opinions are less important than the facts and you're going to have to take stock of those facts. But if it devolves immediately into, you're attacking my identity and therefore the conversation ought to be off the table, well, then how can we have a conversation? And this holds true for a wide variety of issues, not just on that. I mean, if, yep. if you suggest that America generally is not a racist place. Yep. And that for the vast majority of individuals, making better choices is going to make their life richer and better. And if somebody gets offended by that, they say, well, that's an attack on me. I, I don't understand, number one, how that could be an attack on you. Right. And number two, if it is perceived as an attack on you, how do you expect to have any sort of decent discussion that doesn't immediately devolve into you suggesting that I am responsible for your victimization or suggesting that if I suggest that, that you need to make better choices, that this is a form of inherent discriminatory bias. So Ben, I, I'm glad that you you uh, touched on those things because I think one thing that I find in speaking to people is one of the the crises that I feel that this generation suffers from is an existential crisis, is that the identity to a large extent is vicariously lived through you know mega personalities and their 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 self worth is so tied into either their net worth or their likes and the responses that they get. Just as a sort of corollary to that point, do you think because there's a, a huge generation that's reactive, instead of saying, who am I? What are my goals in life? And mapping through and having a proactive sort of approach to life, that that's, that's caused someone like you, who's an extremely high-profile high person uh, as a commentator, for so many of your discussions to, as you say, devolve into, it's not about the point, it's about me, and then the, the wheels come off. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's certainly true that, that a lot of conversations do end up that way, particularly on Twitter, where everything is being performed on stage, basically. Mm -hmm. 
But I, I'm, I'm constantly surprised at, at how many people are, are willing to have those conversations if you can take them out of their comfort zone a little bit. And yeah. I think that those conversations are not only necessary, but I think that they're not all that hard to have. I mean, all, all it takes is people rejecting the notion that conversations are forbidden. Yeah. So to, to give an example, uh, the, to give two contrasting examples, there's an actor named Mark Duplass. He's a director and an actor, very talented guy in the indie, in the indie film circuit mostly. And he comes to our offices one day yep. because he wants to get a different opinion on the Second Amendment. And he happens to be on the left. He works in Hollywood. And so when he came in, I sort of gave him my perspective on the Second Amendment, the history of the Second Amendment, what people who believe in gun and, rights believe. And this believe. was a sincere overture? A hundred percent. It was it was quiet. I mean, the whole thing was quiet. And as he left, I said to him, don't publicize this or people are going to come down on your head and they're going to destroy you over it Absolutely. for treating me as, as a human. And you know, kind of naively, a couple of weeks later, he tweets out something about how I'm a well-intentioned guy and he thinks I'm a good guy and people should give me a follow. He gets hit so hard by the left that he then retracts, he deletes that statement and suggests that he is not a racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe and doesn't approve of racism, sexism, bigotry or homophobia. I don't approve of any of those things either, but the suggestion is that by having a conversation or saying that a conservative is actually a nice person, that this is, that this is forbidden. Okay, that's an example of conversation being shut down by what I've called the woke scolds people who suggest that conversations themselves are inherently damaging to the American way of life. Take by contrast, Larry Wilmore. So Larry Wilmore, former yeah. host on Comedy Central, he and I have significant disagreements on politics. I've mocked him on my show in the past. Like the, the, the whole deal. Larry Wilmore reached out. He wanted to interview me about the book. So we had an exchange where he came on my show and I went on his show. Right. And it was great. We had this perfectly nice civil conversation. We agreed on nearly nothing. And it was totally fine. And he got hit with the same sort of wave as Duplass, except that Wilmore basically said what I think a man should say, yeah. which is, okay, so, so the hell what? Okay, fine. You don't like it. Well, deal. You know, I, I'm allowed to have conversations and I may not agree with this guy, but having conversations is a useful thing. The more of that would be better for the country. But I think that there's a lot of intimidation out there yep. and there's a lot of danger that if you have a conversation that you will be seen as being complicit yep. in a quote unquote bad opinion simply by dint of sitting across from a person. And we're not talking about sitting across from a neo-Nazi. We're not talking about sitting across from somebody whose perspective is so egregiously outside the boundaries of rational discourse that you are inherently granting them a certain amount of credibility by sitting down. We're talking about, like, I'm a mainstream conservative. It is impossible to find somebody who's more of a mainstream conservative than I am. I would agree. And yet even that is considered out of bounds by a certain group of folks who are more interested in, in quashing conversation than they are in having the sort of important conversations that are going to be necessary if we hope to remain a unified country. So on that point, if you point out to folks that are reaching out to you and interviewing you, the inherent hypocrisy, that this, there's, a, there's so many people perpetuating free speech, uh, and yet with a guy like yourself, it's, it's, it's not even about speech. It's about how do you take down Ben Shapiro? Yeah, yep. I mean, listen, that, that's unfortunate. Uh, I've, I've realized that that's just the way that this is going to be from now on. That, that effectively I can do nothing and every so often I'm just going to trend on Twitter <laughs> regardless <laughs> right. uh, of what of I what do. It, it's, it's put me in, in sort of a more comfortable frame of mind to, to sort of realize that a lot of this is, is bad faith. Um, but, you know, look, this is, this is one of the dangers also is that if you're a good person, one of the things you do is you try to take criticism to heart. When people yeah. make a critique of you, you try to take it seriously and say, am I really doing that? How can I correct? I mean, I'm the only commentator that I've ever heard of who has a full list of ongoing things that people remind me of and I'll either apologize for it or explain it, I'll try agree. to try to go back into my mind and figure out what exactly was going on. Like I'm trying to be transparent with folks, right? Um, but the, but you know, the, the sort of mentality of 
you know, go after somebody because I disagree with them politically to the extent that they're not a human being and can't be treated as such. You know, a good example, uh, I've, I've found this very odd phenomenon that, that's taken place. I, I will compliment anybody on the left if they do a good piece of yep. work. Like Craig Mazin is a guy who is very right. much to the left, hates Senator Ted Cruz, for example, was his roommate in college, and, and really is a hardcore lefty. He wrote a series called Chernobyl on HBO. It's a really good series. So I tweeted at him and I said, this is a really great piece of work. We may disagree on politics, but this is a really great piece of work. And he graciously responded. He said, thank you. No, that's really nice. Now, I will do that for anyone on the left. Like literally anyone. I'll say happy birthday to people Mm -hmm. on the left. Okay, I get, on my birthday, I always get a bunch of text messages from people who are very much on the left, openly on the left. Lots of text messages. I have yet to receive, as far as I'm aware, a single tweet from somebody on the left, like publicly, saying happy birthday. Why? Because if they say happy birthday to me, that is an implication that I am a human. And this is unworthy of discussion on Twitter. I mean, if, if, if you say that I am a human on Twitter, you have now put yourself in league with the devil, basically. Unbelievable. And that, that, kind of, that kind of stuff is, is you know, ugly and not good for the country, but ugly and not good for the country. I think a lot of social media is ugly and not good for yeah. the country. I've watched it kill friends of mine, frankly. I'm sure. It's easy to get obsessed. Uh, it's easy to fall into that trap. I, I've personally, over the last few months, really been striving hard to change how I use social media and engage with social media, seeing as more yeah, of a, a loudspeaker for just getting out a couple of points and then signing off as opposed to, you know, a place that you obsessively check your mentions all the yeah. time. It is fascinating. There's something to, to the human mentality where you find yourself worth in what others think of you. Yep. And traditionally, you know, the way that that was abstracted, and I think a good way is mm-hmm. by saying, okay, I'm not going to find myself worth in what others think of me. I'm going to find myself worth in duty to God, for example, sure. in trying to find a moral standard and living up to the moral standard and that's where I'll find my self-worth. And I think that that is a very healthy thing. But I think that the need for outside indicators of self-worth has gotten so exorbitantly strong on social media that right now, the way you find your self-worth is by seeing how many retweets you have, how many likes right. you have, how many hashtags you've tweeted, and people patting you on the back for doing that. Exactly my point about how people's identity is pegged to exogenous things. So I want, I want to be respectful of someone. It's interesting. I was speaking to someone this morning. I said, you and I were going to chat um, later on in the day. And he said, the kind of response I did not expect. You know, I feel sorry for Ben. So I, I did a double take and I said, he's a good guy. And I can say to the listeners, because I think I probably know you better than most of the listeners, that you are a good guy. You're a person of, of absolute moral character, of integrity. You're a, a solid, intellectually honest, tremendous mensch. How does, how does it not get to you, Ben? How, that's what his point was. I feel sorry for Ben. Oh, how does it not get me, to you? You go to sleep. Me, I know me. your wife. I know your kids. You've got a beautiful family. I know you well enough to know that there's that you didn't sign up and say, this is terrific. Let me get beaten up every single day. <laughs> but I think that this, I, mean, I believe this look, is your calling, right? Uh, but, uh, yeah, look, I, number one, it is my calling. Number two, I voluntarily entered it. Number three, I'm not a victim by any general standard of people being victimized. I live in the greatest country in the history of the world. I enjoy rights, enjoyed by few across the history of the planet. Okay. Uh, you know, I live a very nice life surrounded by family and friends. Yep. I have a beautiful family. I have a nice house. Like, I have a lot going for me. And I, and I, li- I grew up in a, in a great family with two wonderful parents. So, you know, I, I can't see myself as a victim because mm-hmm. I'm not a victim. There are plenty of people who are victimized in America. I am not one of them. However, as a human, does it, is it annoying? Is it irritating? Is it upsetting when you feel like you're being unfairly attacked day yeah. in and day out on Twitter when you're trending on Twitter for literally doing nothing? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's annoying and irritating just as it would annoy and irritate anybody else. And, and it's upsetting on a deeper level when you realize that a lot of people think of you as not a human. Yeah. They think of you as more of a symbol to be attacked. That, that obviously is upsetting. But again, I, I don't want this to turn into a woe is me session. No, I mean, look, sure the, 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 again, 
there, there are downsides to being in the space, to yep. being, you know, to having a lot of followers in the space. I have effectively 24 seven armed security. Yep. There, yep. there are certain things about life that just have to change. Yeah, sure. That doesn't mean that I'm a victim by, as I say, any comparative stretch, yeah. but yeah, I mean, as a human being, you just have to build a thicker skin. And that's, yeah, I find, I will say that, that over the course of my life, I, I find myself growing layers of skin. And at this point, I, I'm starting to look like the thing from the Fantastic Four, um, but uh, but still, I mean, listen, when you're in the public space, you, you always sure. need another layer of skin and you think that you've kind of inured yourself and then something happens and you realize you haven't. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I want to, I told your team that, uh, you know, your time is precious and I want to maybe wrap this up with, with, with a couple of questions that I know listeners um, would, would want to ask. Is it just me, Ben, or do you find that there's the gener- there's a generation out there that is growing up, the future leaders of this country that are angry and are bitter, that are that have a chip on their shoulder. And uh, firstly, is that true? And, and, and if so, you know, what do we do about that? Because it's it, the, that point of departure, I think, is is pretty dangerous. Yeah, no, I totally agree with this. Obviously, I think that there there are an enormous number of people across generations uh, who have this this belief that they are victims in the society and and are ungrateful for what it is that they have and believe that the world began spinning with them. And that's, that's dangerous stuff. I mean, my new book, The Right Side of History, really deals with a lot of these issues. I think the chief issue that it deals with is ingratitude. Yep. You know, if you are not grateful for that which you have been given, if you're not grateful for living in this country, if you're not grateful for the rights that you enjoy, if you're not grateful for the sacrifices made for others on behalf of those rights, you're doing it wrong. But I, I think that we do live in a time of ingratitude because we live in inordinate wealth. I mean, the the... the phrase from the Bible that comes to mind is Jeshurun got fat and kicked. And I think that there, there's some of that. I think the fact is we live in enormous amounts of prosperity yep. with a tremendous amount of freedom. And it's easy to look around and see all the injustices as opposed to looking around and going, God, things are pretty fantastic overall. Now, what can we do to help cure those injustices? If you don't start with the first half of the sentence, you're likely to run roughshod over the things that are great in favor of supposedly curing the things that are bad. And you won't end up curing the things that are bad and you'll end up taking down the things that are great. Yeah. Well, just just because you mentioned your book, what in in um, uh, a sentence or two, what is the basic premise? What is the, the basic, basic premise? premise is, of, is of, this. Of, I mean, the the basic premise is that we are all very pissed off at each other. Yep. Uh, that everybody's very angry and upset with each other. That the opioid epidemic is happening. That suicide is on the rise. That the people seem unhappier than they have in a very long time in the United States. While simultaneously, we're incredibly prosperous. We are incredibly free. We are able to you know bring things to our doorstep with the click of a button from all over the world in two days or less. I mean, we live in a miraculous time and yet sure. we are deeply unhappy. So what has happened? And my suggestion is that there's a crisis of purpose. People are not grateful for, for the history of, of the civilization. They don't understand the fundamental philosophy upon which our civilization was built. And so they tend to think that everything is malleable, including human nature. Yep. They tend to think that all of the good ideas that came into existence came into existence in the last five minutes as they thought of them. Yep. And therefore that all of the undergirding philosophy for their good ideas can be stripped away and, and broken away without any effect on the top of the building. And my contention is that that's not true, that when you throw away the notions of human reason built in Athens, and when you throw away the notions of absolute morality built at Sinai, when, when you throw away those things, that you're going to end up throwing away a lot of the good stuff that you like along with that, and you're gonna lose a lot of human purpose in the process, and you're relegated to things like looking for how many tweets are liked on, on yeah. Twitter. So Ben, I wanna, wanna just say, just uh, as a friend and to our listeners, I think, I want to give you a kudos, you know, for having the courage of your conviction, um, you know, as a trained person, as a person who's humbly walking the road of, of honesty and sincerity. You know, I, I want to give you that shout out. And, and I want to leave the listeners with the following. 
suppose you were asked to give the State of the Union address. America's watching, the world's watching. If you could, if you could impart two or three points to an audience that's captive, and if you knew it was going to enter their hearts and souls, what would those points be? I mean, I think that they'd be the same points that have been made. They're, they're age-old points. I think that the same points that have been made since the days of the Bible. Be grateful yeah. for what it is that you have been given. Love thy neighbor, because the truth is your neighbor is probably a very nice, very good person, yep. because we live in a great civilization, uh, and that we're all on the same side. I mean, there's this idea that we are not on the same side, that when we see something bad that happens to somebody, we don't innately have sympathy for them, or that we are not interested in helping them out. We may have different paths toward helping them out, but I think that most of us want the same things, yeah. and that we are not out to victimize each other. We are not out to put each other and grind each other under, under the boot heel, and that if we can start seeing each other as members of a society, not just members of a, of a shared polity, not just members of a shared government, but members of a shared society, we're part of a social fabric where our kids play together and go to the same schools and go to the same churches, and, and then we are going to be a hell of a lot better off than this feeling that we seem to have about each other these days, which is that you can't trust your neighbor, but you can trust the massive government that is sitting over you to do what's best for you. Ben, continued success. Best of luck. I know that our paths will cross again in the journey of life and uh, appreciate your time and continued success. And uh, thanks, for, thanks for being on the show today. This is Anthony hey, thanks Gordon. so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time.